This is Pop and Schlock Live. You are listening to KPFT Houston 90.1 FM. This is the HD2 stream, and we are back on the air. And this week, I am very excited because uh, I found a movie that I liked. Uh, it's been a while since we've had one of those. Um, so we're going to be talking about A Quiet Place, as directed by John Krasinski Meredith's here. Hey, hey, hey. I am so confused oh, right hey, now. Stop talking to the internet. Why are you here? We shot you into the sun. Oh, I'm back. Oh, goody. Meredith's back, everybody. Yeah, sorry. The, uh, the spaceship the spaceship malfunctioned. I'm back. It, it crashed off the side of Hong Kong. What movie are we doing this week? We're doing A Quiet Place. Oh, my God. That was the in-flight movie. I hate everything so very, very much. Everything. Just, okay. All right. Well, um, this should be fun, then. Um... All right, so I actually bothered to sit down and write notes about this movie, which I haven't done in a very, very long time. Well, I didn't have a pen or paper because you shot me into the sun. Shot you into the sun. That is correct. Um, so um, there's a lot to talk about. Um, I guess we'll just go ahead and get started. Um, first things first, like I said at the top of the program, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, wow, those are some loud headphones as you set them down on the table. I hear nothing. It's a quiet place in this recording studio. Um, so I really did like the film. Um, I went in expecting to like it because by the time I had gotten around to see it, the buzz on it had already gotten out and everyone really seemed to, uh, everyone really seemed to be just jumping on this bandwagon of, oh, it's one of the greatest things I've seen in a long time. Blah. And I was like, okay, well, uh, I hope it lives up to the hype because I've been let down before, but I was fully ready to embrace it because the previews and everything for the advertising material for it looked really, really good. Um, and then I saw the movie and I legitimately think I would have crapped my pants if my butthole wasn't puckered up tighter than an unopened jar of pickles. Because this was one of, like, the most tense movies I have ever seen. A visual like that makes me want to go back to the sun. Please, the door is that way. Right. The launch pad is, like, where's Cle which way is Clear Lake from here? Anyway... Meredith's not actually going to leave because she can't stomach the thought of me actually sitting here and talking alone by myself for close to uh, close to an hour. So I left um, my purse. <laughs> all right. So where do you, where do you want to start on this one? Because there's a lot to talk about. I want to start on how John Krasinski was the perfect choice for director for this, because his natural skill with expressions and micro expressions as an actor translated perfectly into his ability to direct people that have to act largely through expressions, micro expressions and sign language. That's true. Like I'm I'm glad that you I'm glad that you brought that up because John Krasinski is an actor who I 
haven't been exposed to much of his work really other than of course the office like um i'm actually looking forward to his uh his take on jack ryan he's the uh the lead in amazon's jack ryan series taking over in the long lineage that includes chris pine harrison ford so many other uh actors who have put their stamp on that material so i'm interested in seeing what he does with it i think this really solidified him in my mind as a, a truly great actor but at the same time i was really impressed with his ability to really direct the crap out of this movie because, and I'm not just talking in terms of what he did with the directors, and obviously we've talked time and time again about, you know, the actor's director, the writer's director, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like Krasinski very steadily straddled the line between the actor and the writer's director here. And kudos to him, too, for casting Millicent Simmons, uh, an actual deaf actress, as a deaf character. He rallied really hard to make sure that, that there was representation and opportunities created for a hearing impaired actress and i feel like that i feel like that's important in that it provides opportunities but at the same time lends a level of authenticity to the performances that i think that m many able-bodied actors probably would not have been able to bring to that role um it's this and we're probably going to get into this later this year because one of the movies that we're going to talk about later in the summer is um skyscraper with uh dwayne johnson and in that film he plays somebody who is uh his disabled he has a he has a prosthetic leg and i'm sitting there thinking okay um kudos for trying to represent that sector of the population but maybe it would have been good for him to put on his producer hat and find somebody who actually was disabled to play that role i'm th but then maybe that movie wouldn't sell because i don't think many people are going to go see that even though the rock is in it so eh, we'll go from there anyway um but the acting across the board was really well handled in that I felt I felt like the world was lived in and the and the actors were portraying characters that felt authentic in a way that could have gone in a completely different direction because looking at this may just be my bias, but whenever you see small children in horror situations, my immediate my immediate action is, oh, God, um, because most of the time I don't like what they bring to the narrative of what they're trying to do. But here it was handled very, very well. I liked that Krasinski seemed to be really focusing on in many ways, if you take out the horror aspect of it, this is very much a family drama. Which I think it's more of a family drama than it is a horror, anyway. Well, I think that all fam I think that all family dramas are horror. So there we go. Fair enough. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we're still trying to get our groove back because I'm not used to uh, doing the the banter after I fired Meredith into the sun. I might be feeling a little bit of guilt about that. Maybe just aww, you do care. It legitimately the only reason I did it was so that I could write a song about it. It was a very nice song. Yes, I know. I've I've gotten many compliments. I I uh I listened to it on the ride back. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm glad that the radio waves travel at the appropriate speed to intercept your returning. Oh spacecraft. no, this was this was the flight back after I crashed off the side of Hong Kong. <laughs> uh, a fishing boat found me. Of course they did. Mm -hmm. so You're lucky I didn't come when I was smelling like like shrimp it's why i was late yeah i know you mostly just smell like salt water mm -hmm. 
which isn't a change from most weeks. I know. Uh, <laughs> I tried. I tried. So um, moving, like you talked about the idea of representation as far as bringing in a, uh, an, an actor who actually was living with the disability that they are portraying. This was a this was a movie that had a lot of inclusivity that maybe people didn't pick up on. One of the things that I wanted to bring up was that this is um, yet another movie with um, a really strong female cinematographer. Um, it was uh, the person behind the lens was uh, Charlotte Bruce Christensen, who also did the cinematography for Molly's Game, uh, Fences with Denzel Washington, and then uh, Girl on the Train, also with Emily Blunt. So it, I was. As I was watching it, I'm, I'm I'm looking at the way that they are putting the narrative on screen. They're putting the story on screen, and there was so much in the way of uh, show don't tell in this film. I loved that there was no giant exposition dump. Oh, I'm, I was so happy for no exposition dump. I I was so glad that there were no flashbacks. That was just. I loved linear because they dropped us in Medea's rest. We pick up on, on like day forty nine of whatever this uh, catastrophe is that has unleashed these monsters upon an unsuspecting populace, and the only background that we get we get from like snippets of views that are taken from newspapers and clippings and things that we see distributed throughout you the know, set. And that's all we need to know. And that's all we need to know. That's all I we did... need to know. There's no need for us to know where the aliens if there even are aliens maybe they were subterranean I'm maybe pretty, they're I'm interdimensional pretty sure, like i picked up on that there are probably aliens just because death from above angels and it's th there was a clipping that said something about a meteor hitting new mexico ah. so i was thinking it's like oh well they obviously crash landed on the meteor um yeah. meteors did it um so but it's all inference. It's all, it's all, inf it's all it's inference. It's all inference. It's, it's all background. It's, it's all it's all in the background. The same way that I was sitting there in the theater and I'm wondering, okay, so um, we get the title card that shows it's like day 400 some odd whatever, um, and Emily Blunt's character throughout the film is pregnant. She is with child, and so in my mind I'm thinking, okay, the aliens already landed. They detect their prey through sound, and John Krasinski and Emily Blunt had intercourse. Was it just? silent were they like just like nearly smothering each other as it happened and then i realized i realized they did it behind the waterfall that's why they showed the waterfall jay goodson dodd sex detective coming soon to netflix not really anyway uh <laughs> I hope like five heart emojis pop up after me doing my Jim from the office impression on the live See, that feed. Was, and speaking of Jim from the office, the only thing that disappointed me about the movie was that at no point did any of the aliens turn to the camera and sardonically offer some sort of raised eye, whatever the alien equivalent of a raised eyebrow is. Well, they, they open their ear holes, so maybe that's what they do. <laughs> And I want to talk about I want to talk about that because that was another thing that I that I had written down was um, the importance of creature design in horror films like this. I love and that I love that John Krasinski made the wise choice to not show the monsters until at least in full view until at least halfway through the film, which I mean, it was way longer than that. Because it was it was only an hour and a half long movie, and I felt like right. it was right around the forty five minute point whenever we see an actual good look at one of these monsters. And I loved the creature design in this, and I feel it's it, in some ways I love. I liked the heads, but they have the usual like spindly bodies that we always keep. We've been seeing since 
since Cloverfield. This was almost a Cloverfield movie. Really? Apparently. It was almost a Cloverfield spinoff. You know, I think... I think... I think it would have worked better than Cloverfield Paradox. Probably. Honestly. Probably. But at the same time, I've got I've got to say, I, like, as far as the creature design goes, they were... I, f- I feel like they straddled the line between, okay, we need people to take this seriously, so it can't be too out there. But at the same time, we want to embrace kind of the, like accepted pulpy roots of what like invaders from outer space would be and so it was kind of a weird crossover between like the a miniaturized cloverfield monster and like the offshoot creatures from trimmers which again monsters that hunt by sound um and that was the whole time i was sitting there i'm like someone please hire john krasinski to do to direct the remake of trimmers that kevin bacon is trying to get made that would he would work it would work because and one of the things that I love is like the original the original Tremors film and this is something I wanted to talk about was it was it was pulpy nonsense but at the same time they played it completely straight the sequels did not the sequels went full on into camp but what I appreciated about A Quiet Place is it really did straddle the line between prestige well-made cinema and absolute pulpy garbage and nothing illustrates that more than the ending because I loved the ending. The ending, like I absolutely. Oh, oh! By the way, oh, I know. I know that some of you are listening that want to see the movie. This is probably the part where you switch it off because we're going to be spoilers. Oh, we're going to we're going to spoil so and much of this. Honestly, you are much better off watching it without knowing anything. Yeah, so if you're if you have not watched the film and you are planning to watch the film, go ahead, pause this, go see it, and then listen to the archived version tomorrow. Because we are going to spoil so much about this movie John Krasinski dies. Like, and... and that, that, it was it was foreshadowed. It was so foreshadowed. Like, it couldn't have been more heavy-handed in terms of, like, we know exactly what's going to happen to John Krasinski. Um, and the movie would not have worked if one of the parents didn't die. But we're not going to have it be Emily Blunt. Like, in... I'm looking at it from... Poor Emily Blunt has already gone through so much in that movie that I think if they killed her off that it would have been overkill. It would have been complete overkill. Like, the nihilistic ending is both of the parents dying. And I'm glad that they didn't go that way because I feel like that would have undercut what they were really trying to do. And I think killing off Emily Blunt, too, would have been too edgy with, like, five exclamation points after it. I really do because the movie was already a torture tango for her. And yeah. I think to kill her off would have been more like in reveling yeah. in tormenting her instead of it being a real tragedy. You would have gone into dancer in the dark territory. Yeah, and we don't we don't want to go there. We no. like and possibly one of the things that I did love about that ending is it sets up the possibility for a sequel, which apparently John Krasinski wants to do. I don't know if we need one. Most of the time nobody needs a sequel. But do I want one? Yes. And I hope that they go in a completely different direction. It ended with it. so perfect. But here, I don't. I don't want it. Here's to... the thing, though. Like, if you want to talk about perfect endings, so did the original Terminator, in my opinion. Okay. And then we got Terminator. Fair 2. point. Same and, with Alien ending and if perfectly they, if in they Aliens. Could, if they could Terminator Two, a quiet place. If we get a quieter place, or like 
a louder place or whatever you want to call it. I don't care, but like I, I just don't want to see this becoming a bloated franchise where it's like a quieter place, the quietest place, quiet place, the beginning, where you actually see the alien invasion happening. It's like why, why do we need you know? And then and then maybe like the quiet place prequels, prequel where they go into the aliens society well, and if, why they're imperialists in the first place. And like, like and, and like in the fourth one, they like that. find a way to like attune the frequency on the child's hearing device to control one of the monsters so it's like their pet and they learn to love yeah i don't want that i i, I do. think it works great as a self but then you write it i'm one of those people who doesn't feel like terrible sequels in any way invalidate what the original did no I, i'm so, not saying that it no so i Jay, don't care i'm not I don't saying care. i'm not saying give, that it invalidates give me the junk i want the junk i'm not saying it invalidates what i'm saying is that i just think of all the resources that go into making a movie and why make a senseless and terrible one that might not even have camp or entertainment value? I don't why know. do that when you can make know. an actual movie that has camp and entertainment are you value? Saying or- that, are you saying that Jaws the Revenge is not an actual movie? That movie paid for Michael Caine's beach house. I'm saying why beat a dead horse? Because sometimes it's fun and for exercise. Well... As Ben Affleck proved, you can use a, a large tire and a hammer for the exact same thing, True. and no horses die and rot right there in your in your garage. That's that's your true. garage would stink of dead horse. Honestly, I don't foresee this getting a sequel, and if it does, I'm not sure that John Krasinski or Emily Blunt will have the time to do it because they they do make quote unquote real movies. Like John Krasinski is already lining up his next d- directorial project. He's earned the cachet to do what he wants, and I. Think think that he's not I don't know if he's going to want to go back to this well so who knows I mean it's it's all pointless speculation which really should have been the original name of the show Emily Blunt has as a Mary Poppins I know which I'm actually looking forward to be a fun one I'm sure we're going to do this for the show right yeah we're going to do that one there's a there's a couple of Disney movies this year that I want to do uh that one and uh Christopher Robin I want to do with uh Ewan McGregor playing a grown-up Christopher Robin hmm Oh, I've seen the trailers for that. Yeah, I've seen like 900 of the trailer manipulations where they uh, superimpose other dialogue over Pooh. <laughs> I'm, you know what? Now that they've cast Donnie Yen in the live-action Mulan, I'm like, all right, you have my attention. Yeah, I the the best Pooh manipulation yeah. was the one where Ewan McGregor turns around, he sees Winnie the Pooh, and he's like. Pooh, and then they superimpose over Winnie the Pooh, General Grievous, going General Kenobi. <laughs> I died, and I was resurrected by my love for terrible Star Wars jokes. Oh, Lord. So, and one of of the things I want to talk about in this film, going back to the creature design, as much as I was like, okay, this is actually, I I like what they did with the creature design. It's like functional. I like what they're doing here. I I, kind of get what they're going for. I, my film nerd brain won't shut up long enough for me to not say it should have been practical effects. Like, if the only way it could have been better is if Stan Winston was still around to somehow make a puppet. Because could you? Because the CGI was just a little too shiny. It has that that little sheen on it that I don't quite care for. So I would have loved if we could have gotten like early '90s era Phil Tippett Stan Winston creature effects. And had the and had the monsters voiced by Frank Oz. I think Meredith caught a virus in space. I did. I'm sorry. 
Maybe maybe if you didn't want me to have space viruses, you shouldn't have so shot me into the sun, Jake. Well, maybe I wouldn't have shot you into the sun if you would have learned how to turn on a switchboard. I can't argue with that. Yeah, there's there's no arguing with that. Okay. Um, it wasn't disproportionate retribution at all. No, it wasn't. I oh. feel like I was entirely justified in firing you out of a cannon into the sun. It burned my bottom. <laughs> Oh, God. So what else do I have here? Oh, okay. Let's talk about sound mixing, because that's going to be like a lot of the discussion centered around this film going forward, especially going into award, uh, award season can is I, the sound can mixing. Can I also mention one thing about the sound? Yeah. Is the reason why the military and all of them never fought to do any kind of sound-based combat? Is it because it was already too late? I feel like it was, it, and I, I feel like what it came down to was they were overrun. And my interpretation of the ending was in order for them to be vulnerable, their like ear hole head thing had to open up mm. so that they were exposed to the gunfire. So I don't think that they thought to put like the sequence of events together. They were the military's just like open fire and then they were overrun. See, maybe if they had hired Amy Adams and tried to defeat them with the power of compassion. See, and let me let me make another statement. Um as much as I believe this is a prestige picture and I feel like John Krasinski directed the heck out of it and he wasn't it wasn't one of those things that's meant to be taken as like a like pulpy romp. Um at the same time, can we Acknowledge that he stole the ending of Mars Attacks. Can we acknowledge that? It's the exact same plot point. No, it is. Technically, this is a remake of Mars Attacks. Only in the ending. <laughs> if you want to talk about B-grade pulp, that's a movie that like hit every like every like octave of the tone button for pulp and like genre weirdity. We need to love Mars we need Attacks. to talk about that movie one day. We need to do a episode about we need that to film. Just do more pulp stuff. Period. I think. I know we've been we've been focusing a lot on pop. We, on, need, to on pop. we need to do more schlock. But the like, I cannot wait for the Meg. Did I, did you click on the trailer for that? I I've seen it since then. I was at work when you sent it. <laughs> I okay. Here's the thing. I'm looking forward I, to Rampage. I like that's what we're doing next week. If you're I know. not, if you're not, uh, if you're not up on our calendar next week, we're going to be covering Dwayne the Rock Johnson's uh, video game adaptation masterpiece, Rampage. Which if, you, apparently, if you don't shoot me into the moon before then, oh, I'm not going to shoot anybody anywhere. I don't have that kind of a budget. We've used all of that up. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're going to do Rampage next week, which makes me happy because looking at the reviews for it, there's one review that I read. The headline was just, yep, it's exactly what you think, which makes me extremely happy because if it's what I think, I'm going to enjoy it, I mean, it so, 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 so much. The trailers and everyone involved are not pretending that it's anything other than what you think. I know. It looks it looks like a lot of fun, and it, it's a different kind of fun because I'm not going to say that A Quiet Place wasn't fun because I enjoyed it a lot. Like, I love good horror movies and it's funny because there's this weird disconnect between what is and what isn't horror like last year um i had people trying to convince me that it wasn't a horror movie and i wanted but to i wanted to launch them out of a much bigger canon into a further point in the galaxy because it is most definitely horror and what were they trying to argue that it was? I don't even know what they were trying to tell me that it was, but it's it's funny because that is most definitely horror and it's funny because there's this 
this idea that a genre has to be one thing and that there is a stigma Think attached to it. Think about everybody trying to try to convince people that Get Out was a comedy just because Jordan Peele was involved. Yeah, I know. It's it's ridiculous. It's like you, you do know that it's a horror movie and with some dark comedy elements to it. And I feel, and I feel it, like part of that comes down to the not, fact that there is sort of a stigma against horror movies because especially in modern times, if you look at what the horror output is, you get stuff like this week we're getting uh, Truth or Dare. Like, if you look at the trailer for that, and then, like, that's what people associate with horror. And it's funny, because if you go back... Truth or Dare is actually supposed to be pretty good. It's weird, because the Bloomhouse, like, horror stuff, it doesn't advertise well, but supposedly is really, really good. Same thing with Happy Death Day. Um, Now, admittedly, I haven't watched those, because I haven't had time in my schedule. But if you look at it, it's not what... People are dismissive of it, because it doesn't... How can I put it? Um, the cheese versus the scare. The tone. There, there's, the, there's that word again. I've been triggered. Um, the tone is off for well, a lot of for a lot of what you would consider horror purists. I feel like you know, Unfriended was. I wouldn't say that that was a great horror movie or even really a good horror movie, but it had a really interesting conceit to it. The, and, and they did I, try pretty hard to push the conceit as far as they could. And what's funny is I prefer or I. Th- think in terms of horror what i tend to uh, go to bat for or i tend to endorse a lot is whenever they have a good premise mm-hmm. a quiet place has a good premise it was excellent get out has a good premise um happy death day had a good premise it was groundhog day as a horror film that works for me i like that sort of mm-hmm. idea and it's funny you know i brought up how people said that people it was i don't I, those those um institutions I do not regard with personhood. They were not people. They were they were so wrong that they ceased to be people. It is a horror film. Um, it's a horror. I don't, I don't. What else could you categorize it as? Like I feel like I feel, I feel is like it comedy because it has a clown. I feel like. I'm a giant spider. Gonna eat a tiny child. Like is it is it a comedy? I mean, when you put it that way, yes. I mean, and there were funny parts of it, but that's not to say that horror can't have comedy in it. Well, yeah. But, but I mean, honestly, because... the comedy helps because it, it diffuses because the it situations, diffuses. but then it diffuses the situation, but then it it, it, it throws you, you up, throws you into, into a false sense, sense of security. And what's so funny about it is there's this weird preoccupation with trying to, like, this is horror, this is not. And there's a stigma against horror that goes back to, like, even the mid-20th century whenever you look at, um, there was an interview that Peter Cushing did where he was talking about how he didn't consider the films that he was doing to be horror films. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, uh, I'm sorry, Peter, but yeah, those are horror films. Um, just because you want to put your, like, Shakespearean actor spin on it doesn't mean that it isn't a horror film. And, and you can't tell me that some elements of Shakespeare aren't horror. Oh, no, I mean... Titus Andronicus is a horror play. Dun- Psychological horror, but it's a horror play. I mean, done correctly, Hamlet could be a horror play. There's ghosts. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you want to go with that. And the thing that I love about A Quiet Place is that it is a very specific type of horror, and it's the type of horror that I really enjoy. And I, I, I hope Ryan's listening to this right now, because this is going to make him uh, happy. I'm sure he, he shut it off after we said spoilers, because he hasn't seen it oh, yet. Oh, he hasn't seen it yet. Well, uh, hopefully, whenever he gets up to the archive, I want to talk about this. Um, Just part- for context, say we're talking about Ryan Terry, who was a guest at one point uh, in the episode. On the that- episode that doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, he, he did a very wonderful little mini OSHA breakdown of uh, everything that was wrong with the Jaeger hangar in 
uh, Pacific, Pacific Rim, Rim uprising. uprising. So one of the things that I love about A Quiet Place, and this is, goes back to what is horror, what isn't horror. It's kind of the, it's a flip side of the same coin of that discussion we had about sci-fi earlier in the year. Um, one of the things that I subscribe to is there are different types of horror, and some of them are more effective than others on certain types of people. And one of the things that I uh, that I go back to was um, there was a Stephen King book called uh, Dance Macabre, which was a collection of basically essays. And in it, he wrote that there are three different types of terror. And I'm going to read this. He says, There's, these are the three different types of terror. There's the gross out, the sight of a severed head tumbling down a flight of stairs. It's when the lights go out and something green and slimy splatters against your arm. The horror, the unnatural, spiders the size of bears, the dead waking up and walking around. It's when the lights go out and something with claws grabs you by the arm. And the last and worst one is terror. When you come home and notice everything you own had been taken away and replaced by an exact substitute. It's when the lights go out and you feel something behind you. You can hear it. You can feel its breath against your ear. But when you turn around, there's nothing there. No, so Tuesday. And what's funny is some of the some of the movies that I identify strongly with um, in, in terms of horror and like just getting that visceral reaction utilize all three. Yeah. I feel that I feel that A Quiet Place uses all three. Um, especially that cr that creeping sense of like where is it? I don't know mm -hmm. where this is coming from. And then there's also the like the gross out like whenever we're in the forest and we see the disemboweled woman, or even the uh, the jump scare with the raccoon. Um, and then you've got that just that creeping dread of like. Well, and the raccoon is not only a jump scare, but then later it, you get the the gore because it makes a chattering noise and the alien squashes it. Yeah, it's and you see it. Yeah, and it's it's rather gnarly. Um, I felt very cathartic, though, because I've got that raccoon fight club that operates out of my backyard. So I was like, yeah, you chattering jerks. <laughs> You're like, I'm begging for an alien invasion. Just get these... <laughs> get off my lawn! That's not going to work. I, I don't know. If, if those aliens ever landed, I think every Italian-American would die within the first minute. This, it, this movie could not have been made about an Italian-American family. I, I feel like that's um, both um, racially insensitive and also very, very true. And I, I think I brought up the point that um, the only people that would survive would be the Irish, because what we do is we take our feelings and our emotions and we push them down deep inside somewhere, somewhere where they can't get out. And then that stress and anxiety just eventually kills us. I don't know, man. I've been to Ireland. I don't think the Irish would last that long either. Are you talking about are you talking about Irish Catholics or Irish Protestants? I'm talking about the I'm talking about the Irish Hill people who fight over whose land the sheep get to graze on. Well, they'd be too busy fighting about the sheep, and then they would get killed over the arguments. Okay, so I'm just saying the I will concede the point. The only people that could survive this would be wasps. I feel like. Okay, I, the people that could survive this would be that, and then also um, any any teacher who has ever had to proctor a test, like me, who spent five hours in a testing room today, absolutely silent, no sound whatsoever. It was, I felt like, this is the quiet place, except the TEA hall monitors are the aliens from outer space, and instead of eating us alive, they take away our teaching certificates if somebody sneezes. What would happen if you farted? Would they just come in, like, did they bring in the police, and you just get a police escort out? Just like, just like no, like, no, it wasn't my fault. It's... Oddly enough, um, the biggest problem that I had was um, after students finished taking the test, they would put their heads down and sleep. 
and these these students god bless their souls are not light sleepers um they they snore cartoonishly loud so we would have all died that was a that's a huge that's a huge point in the film that i was like wondering about it's like man i hope that none of these people snore when they sleep or talk in their sleep like i do apparently or grind their teeth even yeah because that was one that's me two out of three that was one thing that i wasn't fully sure on is just how at, at what decibels yeah, like what, deci- what what's decibel? What's the decibel point? Yeah, what's the point? Yeah. What's the threshold? And uh, there was a lot because of because surely they had to figure it out. Yeah. Somehow, and how would you do? I mean, obviously you can't have a little NASA toy because that's how that kid got eaten. But well, and it's funny because I'm just wondering how were, they know how quiet to be. And you just kind of had to accept it as far as what the decibel level was, what the acceptable threshold was, because obviously, like crickets chirping didn't. Uh, didn't attract them because there was a lot of ambient sound there. Um, and I liked the world building that they did, the idea of like putting down sand to uh, along the pathways to muffle the sound of footprints. Um, I liked the painting the, the floorboards that were safe to step on. Um, there, there were a lot of things that I really liked about the world building, but then there were also things that just, I'm like, couldn't they have had more than, couldn't they have had more than one quiet safe room couldn't they have you know and that was another thing that kind of bothered me was i talked whenever we did thoroughbreds about how i had a very firm understanding of the sense of space looking at the layout of the farm that they were staying in in a quiet place i did not get a very firm sense of the geography of it it felt kind of haphazard in that way um and it's it's not anything that is a deal breaker for the film, but it is something that stuck in my head of like, okay, how many houses exactly are there? Which rooms are in which houses? There, there wasn't, an, I felt like there should have been more establishment of geography. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Cause I, I was kind of thinking something similar where I, the, the house where Emily Blunt gets stuck in the bathtub. Yeah. And has to give birth inside the shower stall and everything. Like, I was and that's confused a, and that's a separate house from the one with the basement were, right uh the basement quiet room and I feel and like there was, was not at least the, one other house there was the basement quiet room and then there was also the uh the lab where he where he was trying to contact people with Morse code and then also building the hearing aids for his daughter and I feel like that's the same that's the same house with the bathtub is it isn't it I don't I know that, that's, that's going, going back to my point I, I have know. been proven correct by my own inability to recall yeah, I'm not. I think it needs one of those like fantasy world style maps as you walk in. They're like, here's the map to the movie, and here's the glossary of terms. And it's and I look I looked you know I, I I try to avoid looking at other people's reactions to films before we record because I don't like to just parrot what other people think or I don't like it to influence my own like the way that I look at things. But I did look at a few reviews and a few people talking about this film and they had the same issue as far as geography and them not setting up or establishing things to the way or the way the audience needed or necessitated to fully understand right. and like get drawn into the film and it's i feel like they the film coasts on how tense it is and the the strength of the sound mixing and the acting that we kind of take for granted the staging and blocking and Perhaps it's just perhaps it's just because I've been watching a lot of uh, a lot of films that feel very stagey lately. But I really am. I find myself 
more in awe or more interested in when they can establish the use of space and the use of physical geography. A good example is um, on Tuesday, I watched um, the the recent Murder on the Orient Express, which um, I actually really, really liked um, some performances aside. and. Um, but one of the things that Kenneth Branagh did with that film was he established the geography of the train, where everybody is, what, what the what the locale is, how you get from point A to point B. And it really helped to sell the mystery of it, because if you don't establish that, the mystery falls apart. I don't feel like the tension of this film falls apart because of the lack of understanding of geography. No, so, I, I think that it's more of a... It's more of it's, a. It's such a secondary concern. It's 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 just one of those things. It's like I've got to find something to nitpick. Yeah. Because I'm me. I, I thought it was an excellent movie. Yeah, it was a great movie. I gave it a solid eight out of ten. I yeah. I enjoyed yeah. I it. think that's about. That's I enjoyed about right. it so 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 much. And what's funny is, um, I think that in a couple of months, whenever, uh, whenever some movies start hitting, uh, start hitting home release, I'm gonna double team this with. Um, it comes at night and annihilation. I'm gonna do like a triple feature night and hmm. watch all the all of those back to back because I think that those are like tonally and thematically, I think they go together very, very well. And so I would like to see what that does to my brain to watch them all in one evening. And it's weird that we've now been on the air long enough that movies that we've covered are starting to come out on home video because Proud Mary came out this week. Yeah, I saw. And if you if you haven't seen Proud Mary, please uh, take the time to go red box that, please, um, because it's worth it's worth it. I don't care what the critics said. It's, yeah, it's worth the time to rent at the very least. Well, as you have pointed out multiple times, if it was a yakuza movie, people would be singing its praises. Yeah, if it had been t uh, directed by Takashi Meek, it would have been. Um, it would have been beloved. Speaking of which, I, I, another thing that's on my to-watch pile is Blade of the Immortal. I picked that up. Oh, nice. But I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I've heard great things, but I haven't had a chance to watch it. I, the only, I've, I've only been able to fit in a couple movies this week. I was, I was fortunate that I had a lot of free time on Tuesday. So I was like going through a backlog of things that I'm like, I picked up and I wanted to watch. Um, I watched Murder on the Orient Express. I went back and rewatched Moneyball for some reason, which I forgot how much I liked that movie. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of strange. Um, I guess, uh, and it's weird that I was able to get invested in it after I went to the Astros game over the weekend <laughs> and uh, like left with my soul crushed because it it was the worst kind, the worst type of baseball game to go to, which is where they go scoreless into the tenth inning, oh. and then and then they they win on an error, which I'm glad they won, but come on. Um, now, so. Speaking of schlock, I did a uh, what a, my million three watch of Barbarella. Really, I love that movie. I think what's funny I just. I love that movie so much. It's 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 deeply problematic. I know that someone's probably like queuing up an essay about why I should not be allowed to to like that movie, but I it's oh it's it's one of my favorite pieces of schlock. It's it's like it, it it's one of the all time pantheon of oh my god somebody paid money to produce this film and there's like a bunch of films like that that could easily go into like if you were putting together a film festival of like. Huh? It would be like Barbarella, Zardoz. Um, uh, I'd even throw in. Uh, I'd even throw in Dune. Just, oh, yeah, 
think Dune would be a good one. Which Dune, and then follow up with Joe Dvorsky's Dune. Oh God! And I'm, I'm <laughs> just to twist the knife. Further. I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, Dennis Villanueva does yeah. with Dune, and apparently he's doing it as a two-parter. So that's that's showing some sense of like at least confidence that people will actually want to see a two-part Dune film. So uh, most people don't know though that uh, Barbarella is a comic book movie. So I would put that in like a, also a, a comic book movies that people don't realize are comic book movies festival. What else would you put in that lineup? Uh, I think a lot of people don't realize Ghost World was. American Splendor, too. American Splendor. Well, no, because they explicitly talk about it being based on Harvey P. Carr's comics in the things. I remember you've got uh, Harvey P. Carr himself. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's, that's about his career. Uh, let's see. Steel. <laughs> I think every <laughs> I think knows. everyone knows that Steel was a comic book movie. Oh, I just think that I don't think a lot of people knew that. That maybe maybe they do now. I would. That's one of the things I would love to do is go back and do like a forgotten classics of superhero movies episode and do stuff like Steel. Do stuff like uh, God. What are some other terrible ones like the Return to Riverdale? The the nineteen ninety two Captain America made for TV movie. Um, the Nick Fury movie from the late nineteen eighties with David oh, yeah. Hasselhoff, which I had. Whenever I'm, I, I was so angry because it's not. I don't think it's available on physical media or to stream anywhere. But I had it saved on my DVR before I moved, because it came on HBO. And then whenever I moved, I lost that DVR. Oh no! So I was like, no, I'll never be able to behold the greatness that was David Hasselhoff as Nick Fury, Agent of Shield. Return to Riverdale, which I've actually never seen. I, I have seen. I've seen some scenes from it. Uh, I have seen the one where Jughead does a hip-hop dance to a rap remix of Sugar Sugar. Why have I not seen this film? Like, I feel like my life is not what it should be, because that is something that needs to be... I've experienced so much. Like, I've traveled overseas, I've, like, learned how to play musical instruments, but somehow I've never seen that film, and that angers me now. It's something that I'm going to be we'll, we'll make it an, about. We'll make it an episode and then force Joe to come on. Oh, God. We want to stay friends with Joe. I know. He's such a nice person, I don't think he'll mind. He'll just harbor a grudge for the rest of his life and somehow work us into dying in everything he draws from here until the end of time. I fail to see the problem in that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you, you got to leave a legacy somehow. So, mm -hmm. and getting back to uh, the film that we watched, A Quiet Place, which it's it's so hard for me to find things to criticize about it other than little nitpicky things because i loved it so much it was it was good and it was really good it's i mean so far it's one of my top films of the year yeah and i would put it just under black panther i think i can't believe black panther comes out on blu-ray next month <sighs> next month black panther is my I'm, number one this, i am going to have year. that i'm just gonna have that film on repeat like over mm -hmm. i loved that movie so you know much. you know what black panther was so good that i'm actually not looking forward to infinity war because i don't see how it's gonna i don't think it's gonna be better but i'm looking forward to infinity war because it means more mbaku okay that's true Mbaku might be one of the greatest entries in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a very long time. It's what I loved about Black Panther, and I can feel like I feel like I can hear Isaiah's like 
footsteps as he's running to the studio going, did I hear y'all talking about Black Panther? <laughs> but, like, the thing about Black Panther... We'll have to bring him back for Infinity War, though. Oh, we will. I'm, I'm sure we'll have to get, like... It's just going to be a panel. It'll be a round table. We'll, we'll have multiple... We'll probably have, like, a packed house for that, because I think there's so many people are going to have so many it's interesting things to say. It's just going to be 20 people in this room going, oh, I loved it so much! Oh. It's just going to be 20 people chanting M'Baku for a full hour. But the best thing about Black Panther is that... M'Baku. Like, well, M'Baku is my personal favorite, but, like, whenever you get down to it, there's so much about that that film where the performances every single one of them is a scene stealer oh they're amazing like there's no way to pick out who was the mvp of that film speaking, because everyone was so good speaking of scene stealers and mvps uh they're bringing colson back for, for captain, captain marvel, marvel and so i'm just like well that made the movie for me because i didn't i don't watch agents of shield i've watched I, it off and on but it it's, never i never can consistently keep it up never with landed it. with me because like Coulson is the only one that I've enjoyed watching. I, well, I I will like I am like madly deeply in love with Ming Na Wen. Like, okay, she's great. So, yeah, Ming Na Wen is also awesome, but like, I didn't. The show never clicked with me, and so I'm like, I'm being that show, that show clicks exactly like a quarter of the time with me. So I don't it, keep up with it regularly, but I'll watch like little individual yeah. arcs and go, okay, that was good. It didn't click with me, and so I'm like, you're depriving me of Coulson. Coulson is awesome. I'm glad that he's coming back. It's. I'm really looking forward to Captain Marvel. I feel like I'm going to enjoy that very, I, very I much. I read a rumor that they're going to get into the origin story of how Nick Fury lost his eye, and I'm like, why? Not no, everything no. needs an if, origin story. If they do that, it needs to be the most mundane thing we've ever seen like throughout the movie they tease it like like he's in an explosion that would, see, that or a car hysterical. crash or like he or like he falls out of a building or like glass shatters everywhere but then in the end like he just like falls like he just trips tri- on a he tri- like he trips and hits his head on the edge of a table like that that to me would be the ultimate is like and then it then they could be a running gag throughout if they ever get him back to do more nick fury stuff outside of that do you want to know how i got this scar <laughs> but just, yeah but you, you and then like captain marvel's in the back going but see neither taika watiti nor james gunn is directing it so it's probably not gonna happen I heard a rumor today, and I don't know if this is true, that Taika Waititi is being tapped to direct Akira. I would watch that. I don't know if it's true. And if it isn't, I'm sorry. If it is true, I would... But let's speculate wildly and say that that is going to be the greatest movie of all time. I would watch that. I would absolutely watch a Taika Waititi Akira. I hope that he plays Tetsuo. Be perfect and oh my god and get jermaine clement oh. To play K- <laughs> oh. oh my god just oh lord i need to go back and rewatch uh what we do in the shadows because, oh um i need to go back and rewatch akira i the last time i watched akira god it, it's been at least a decade since i've watched akira see i i own both akira and what we do in the shadows but i watch what we do in the shadows more often what we do in the shadows is such such a good i film. don't think taika waititi's ever made a movie that i haven't loved he's he's one of those directors that uh, 
we're kind of on the same wavelength as far as what we think is absolutely hysterical. And I've had people argue, it's like, oh, man, Thor Ragnarok wasn't funny at all. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? That movie was hilarious. What, What do these people think is funny? I really don't know, because that film was hilarious. And it's what I, well, what I love about it is they just decided it's like, OK, we're going to turn Chris Hemsworth loose to be Chris Hemsworth and let his natural charisma work. Like, how do you how do you not see Jeff Goldblum wearing giant golden robes and a the, the blue lipstick? And, his, his and, and there's a hologram was... of him saying, it's my birthday and there's fireworks everywhere. His, how is that not funny? His delivery in that film was so good. The what, what, no, that that's that's not a melting offense. I just he his he wasn't trying to do anything other than Jeff Goldblum and it worked. Mm-hmm. And it's my birthday. It's still one of my favorite things. It's okay. I pardon you from life. <laughs> just and of course, like my favorite character in that movie is Korg. I love Korg <laughs> so much. I tried to start a revolution, but I didn't print enough pamphlets. And the, I love that when Meek dies, and then he's like, oh, he died. I, he I, died. I crushed him. He's dead. I've just been carrying him around. Oh, no, he's not dead. He's not dead. Hey, hey Meek, he's so nonchalant about it. It's so good. I love that I love that Taika Waititi like, gave himself the best role in that film. Mm-hmm. It's okay. If the foundations are strong, we can rebuild. The foundations are gone. Guess there's no rebuilding then. Oh God! It was. It was. He. That movie is. I'm gonna watch that again probably this weekend. I'm gonna wear out that Blu-ray because it is. The more I this watch it, the more I love it. Bought it on iTunes. Like it's one of those. It's one of those. Uh, it's one of those movies that the more I watch it, the more I like it. Which, the first time I saw it, I'm like, yeah, that's great. I I liked that, but I, I did. It didn't like knock me over but i've watched it twice since i've got it on blu-ray <laughs> and every time i'm like this is the greatest movie ever that's, made but that's like everything taika watiti does even if it's like the best thing you've ever seen the first time you see it it becomes more and more the best thing you've ever seen the more you watch it it has it's, layers it's never not amazing but i'm curious to know if you don't find ragnarok funny what what do you find funny like do you just what is funny to you i really don't know like what what's what's comedy if not if not that and i i feel like you know we talked about you know what makes a horror movie a horror movie comedy is so much more subjective um it was weird because before a quiet place we got a, i got a lot of good trailers um one for uh it's the follow-up from the same people who made the witch did you get that one hereditary yeah that's supposed to be one of the best horror movies that, of the year that the trailer Gave me nightmares. Yeah. I don't know if I can sit through that, but at the same time, I also got a trailer for a Johnny Knoxville film about him like putting together a uh, a carnival, a, a car, like a theme park in the seventies. Yeah, and it's I'm just sitting there, and the people around me are like, oh, "That looks hilarious," and I'm like, "How many times?" It's it's the old that, that, ma- man getting hit in grind with football. It it could go either way with me though. That, a movie like that could go either way. I don't always know from the trailer because look at Blockers. Yeah. Blockers trailer was awful, awful trailer. But, but I loved but it. But once the once the uh, the embargo was lifted, lifted all the all everyone the was like, came out and was like, "You need to go see this." Yeah, they're movie. like, "We were not expecting much because those trailers were so bad." But it was a really good movie, and I'm like, "Well, so trailers always lie." This this is why. 
you get the directors to do the trailers and not a marketing department that only has a few to be fair few... what made blockers so good was the character work in that like you had to be fully invested in the characters for you to find what they were doing was funny yeah, but, but what, what also, you got to, also you got to see harvey birdman's junk but what good is that if you don't even care about the characters when you see them from the trailers and have to check it's out what they're doing? That's what I'm saying. It's such a conundrum, which um, I really, like, looking at the marketing for A Quiet Place, they did a very, very good job marketing this film. Mm -hmm. I want to throw that out there right now. But at the same time, I really wish they would have kept the, um, the, the spaceship scene out of the trailer. I also wish that they would have kept the death of the youngest child. Yeah, like that entire that entire L losing the youngest toddler. I, I would have, I would have, um, I would have cut anything before the like day four hundred. I wouldn't have used in the trailer. Yeah, I would not have used that at all. Um, and I like that in the trailer they didn't give us any inkling of what the monsters looked like. They kept those hidden. So I was. Like, part of it was just like, I wonder what these things are. You know, it built a sense of anticipation. Um, there are some... And it's funny because uh, another thing that... This is actually a, a good counterpoint. Another trailer that I got is for um, Mission Impossible, which... I've been seeing that in I'm front so, of every I'm so, single... I'm so looking forward to that movie. But so, fun they, fact. I've actually never seen a Mission Impossible movie. Oh, Lord. Well, to be fair, none of them are babe. Yeah, and to be fair, none of them are Babe or Babe Pig in the City. Yeah. But here's the thing. that The trailers for those always do the exact same thing, and they give away Tom Cruise's wacko, how's he going to kill himself this time stunt, and I really wish they'd stop putting those in the trailer so that whenever you go to the film and you see Tom Cruise hanging off the side of a 747 without a harness, you're like, oh, my God, instead of, yeah, I saw it in the trailer. Honestly, <sighs> I, I'm sorry to every early 90s housewife that's that's listening to this show. I don't understand Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise just, does not I'm understand just Tom not Cruise. I'm not interested in seeing much of anything. Like, uh, Edge of Tomorrow, I will give it. I will give Edge, an exception to Edge, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow was good because of Emily Blunt. Yeah. Uh, Tropic Thunder, but also because it was it was only a bit part that he had in that. But like I just I see Tom Cruise, I'm just like I'm not super interested or what's, engaged in this. What's funny is like I wouldn't put Tom Cruise among like my favorite actors or anything, but at the same time, he has done a lot of stuff that I liked. Magnolia is good. I'll even go to bat for something like Eyes Wide Shut, which was interesting if nothing I'm else. I'm not saying that he's bad. But, I'm but just saying But at the saying... same time, like it's, it's it's he has this weird space in like the the Hollywood sphere, which I, I I don't even know how to describe it. Like I I don't dislike Tom Cruise, but I kind of forget that Tom Cruise exists until a trailer for a Tom Cruise movie comes up. I just nothing. He I wouldn't say he has negative appeal to me, but I'm saying I I think if someone that. I found more charismatic was playing some of the parts that he was in. I would be more interested because, like, his supporting yeah, cast for that for that uh, the Mission Impossible trailer. Yeah, that's, it was a great supporting oh, yeah, cast, that's, that's and I'm best, like, that's well, the that best supporting part. cast seems pretty awesome. That's the best part of the Mission Impossible series is his team because you've got Simon Pegg, you've got Ving Rhames, you've got Michelle Monaghan, you've got Rebecca Ferguson. They're bringing in Henry Cavill in this one. It's Angela Bassett. They had um, previously they had Jeremy Renner and uh, Josh Holloway. They've had. Amazing. Wasn't it, was it Werner Herzog in one of them? I believe so. No, 
That was a no. That was that Jack was a Jack Reacher. Reacher, that was Jack Reacher. Yeah. That was Jack Reacher. Oh, the, See, that's what I'm saying. The first one, good. The second one, ha! No. Yeah, the second one was terrible. I'm just saying, like, it's just nothing. It's just I, I draw a blank every time I see him. I'm just like, well, he's a human that exists, and I move on. Like, is he? Maybe a human? I'm a really bad critic for that. Maybe I don't know. No, I'm just a really bad critic because I'm a woman. Oh, God. All right. So we need to start wrapping up. Is there anything that we didn't talk about about this that we need to cover before we get out of here? No. No, we, I think we, we did a good job of covering. Cover. We covered everything? We when did. When did we do that? Always. Never. Always. We always do. We, I mean, we really do. And we, then we pepper in charming commentary. And then we go on tangents. That people love, actually. I feel... I, I feel <laughs> That's a movie, too. <laughs> funny story about uh love actually is that um what's it what's his name uh brody thomas the one who plays the little kid the drummer who's infatuated with the girl who goes on to play the voice of marceline um he was only a few years in age difference from kira knightley when they made that i believe he was only five years younger than her when that movie was made i want that to settle in because it unnerved me Beyond compare whenever I found out. So it's time for another gym stare. Yeah. So, and it's... I'm also probably... I, I probably, a lot of people will not agree with me on this, but Love Actually is not that great of a movie. Oh, Love Actually is terrible and I love it. It's... it's like, That's awful. I understand why people like it, but I... It's not one of those. It's for I know of a lot of people. It's become like a staple. It's like oh, I watch this every year. No, I can't do it. You, I I love Bill Nye, especially in it. I love Bill Nye in just about everything he's ever done. Um, another one of the movies I rewatched recently, which I forgot how much I loved it, was Hot Fuzz. Oh yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that one. That movie is genius, and it's it's one of those things that. Uh, I really forgot how much I loved it because as Edgar Wright has gone on to doing different stuff with his career, um, I kind of forgot about Hot Fuzz. Like it just kind of like faded into the background. And then I decided to watch it and I found myself dying at how much I loved it. It's pretty good. People drop dead all the time. What makes you think it was murder? <laughs> the line deliveries in that movie are amazing. <laughs> And the the fact that Simon Pegg was playing the straight man and it just really just worked gangbusters. And Timothy Dalton. Oh, my God. I love Timothy Dalton. Oh, yeah. The best James Bond. Anyway. Yeah, we um, do have to wrap up because uh, our on air. Oh, yeah. All right. So we're going to we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Thank you for listening. Next week, we're going to be talking about Dwayne The Rock Johnson's Rampage, which, of course, is going to be a great episode. And we should have a guest. We should. Well, we should. Will we? Yes. Yes. Uh, well, I'm going to I'll announce it once he once it's finalized. Yeah, because we don't always know sometimes because people's schedules are wackadoo. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and get out of here. Uh, if you need to find us, the show's uh, Twitter is at Pop Pod. You can find us on Instagram at, at Pop and Schlock Live. I am at Am I Right or Wrong? And you can find Meredith at, at Meredith Nudo. M E R E D I T H N U D O. That's how you find us. So interact with us. Tell us what you think. Give us your feedback. We love to hear it. And we will see you next time. Mm -hmm.